Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, and yes, of course, what else would we deal with uh, today as the as the entire Canadian uh, community is reeling um, uh, again uh, around uh, the injustice, colonialism, and let's just say the word genocide that's happened to our First Nations, uh, with, of course, the finding of the bodies of the 215 children in Kamloops. Um, I've got a couple of people on today's show to talk to us about that, uh, one provincial and one more federal. Um, and provincially, I'm so delighted to have Saul Mamakwa on the show. Uh, Saul is the MPP for Kuwaitanung. He's Kingfisher Lake First Nation on uh, Treaty 9 territory. He's part of that group. Um, and Saul, before he was elected, was lead health advisor for Anishinaabe Aski Nation, working um, on the health transformation for 49 Anishinaabe First Nations across the north of Ontario. Saul, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Uh, thank you uh, for having me here. Uh, it's uh, it's good to be here. Uh, so let's let's jump in. You are a newbie. You were elected in 2018, and you've lived through quite a session, unprecedented, uh, at Queens Park. So talk to talk to us a little bit about what it was like to be new there, uh, and again, maybe some learnings that have come out of this last uh, three year period. Uh, you know, uh, uh, thank you for that question. I know that uh, certainly back in. Um, June 2018 when I got elected and of course uh, that summer we had a summer session so it was like you know uh, you know uh, about about six weeks later we are actually sitting in the in the chamber and uh, you know like I remember sitting there and um, you know I think on the first day uh, of question period I remember this particular moment I was looking around the building you know how the building is built and uh, you know look around and uh, I asked myself like what the f am i doing am i doing here <laughs> and it's just uh you know like that's kind of how and then all of a sudden um, you know on that first question period uh, you know i was i think number three or number four on the question lineup because uh uh one of the things that, that happened is they removed uh, uh reconciliation within the ministry itself and um so that was my question that was prepared for me so I saw you going up on number three or number four and then yeah so that was um you know and i think i sat uh, right behind uh you know the leader as well the leader of the opposition andrea horvath and uh you know when they started out questioning and you know how you know uh, how hard they go at each, each other that the premier and the, the opposition like it it really scared me <laughs> yeah i mean I, I remember you know because i was there of course too and i uh, and I was used to, you know, coming from the church, I was used to preaching, right? But you don't yeah. get heckled, <laughs> you know? And also, I, one of the um, one of the veterans who's still there um, said to me, yeah, you know, the first time I stood up to ask a question, um, you know, my knees almost gave out, almost passed out, you know? It, people don't understand how terrifying it can be to stand in that place and open your mouth, you know? <laughs> so congratulations, yeah. you did it. <laughs> yeah, so like, I remember that first, question too like and i was kind of ro rocking back like side by side just to you know like that's how nervous i was and then uh you know so let's say uh i i think today i uh, went after you know like almost three years here and uh, you're comfortable with it and uh 
Uh, and I think uh, it's been an honor to be able to represent a, uh, you know, Indigenous people, First Nations people in Ontario, not just, uh, but also the writing itself, like, um, you know, the new writing, Kiwetnug is, uh, is a very unique writing. It's never, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, it's never, uh, you know, uh, it's a unique uh we look, you know, the, the people down in Toronto don't know who we are or, or uh, you know, where we come from and uh, the, 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 the different things we, the challenges, the barriers and the things that we have are different from what's, uh, what you would see in Toronto. Yeah, tell us about that. I mean, tell tell folk because, I mean, the show goes out everywhere on podcast, um, but on the radio, of course, on CIUT, it goes out, you know, the southern part of Ontario and some of the states. So, so you know, just, you know, I, I don't think people, unless they've been to a First Nations community, really understand. Um, help yeah. us. Yes, uh, so Kiwetnung is a, a new writing that was created uh, on, in 2018, and uh, I represent uh, 31 uh, First Nations uh, 24 are flying communities, meaning they don't have access to roads. It's just air, airstrips, airports, uh, you know, gravel airports, gravel airstrips. And uh, and uh, there's, uh, you know, three treaty territories, treaty number nine, treaty number five, and treaty number three. And um, so, uh, you know, like I bring uh, a different perspective uh, on what, you know, the issues that we face as First Nations people you know, how the feds and the province uh, treat First Nations people, Indigenous people across Canada, across Ontario. And, you know, um, example is access to clean drinking water. Uh, like Sherry, um, you know, um, example is access to clean drinking water. And like right now today, uh, we have 16 uh, boil water advisories in the riding. I have, there's 14 long-term, long-term would be anything that would be uh, any uh, longer than one year. Short-term is less than two, uh, less than a year. So I got uh, 14 and, and two. So, and uh, you know, there's one community, uh, community of Niskandaga, community of well, maybe three, three, 350 people. They've had their boil advisory, you know, over 26 years. And uh, so they're on their 27th year and, um, I, you know, I bring these stories. So that one, I, I tell that story because uh, that's one challenge. And, uh, you know, when I asked uh, the province to become part of the solution to invest in uh, federal and uh, um, provincial resources or whether it's whether it's infrastructure on reserve, you know, they say to me, that's that's not our responsibility. That's a federal responsibility. And, you know, when you, we talk about access, basic access, access to basic human rights, such as access to clean drinking water, they, they, are, they still have, you know, uh, uh, the audacity to be able to play, you know, uh, ping pong, mm -hmm. you know, on that. So, so and, and I'm sure when yeah. you go to the, the feds, they say it's the province's responsibility, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's predictable. Um, so, and, and what is like, I, you know, people just shake their heads. Like we've been hearing about this, as you say, for, you know, years and years. Um, and uh, I, I remember, you know, when I served, it was under a liberal uh, government majority for the most part. And, uh, and they said, oh, we're putting, you know, they would say, oh, we're putting millions in or whatever. They would, you know, these figures would come out. And yet nothing seems to have changed. Like what, you know, I, I don't get it. Like most people just don't get it. Like, what is it, the cost? Like, what's the problem here? I think uh, uh, one thing is very, uh, simply is there's no political will to 
treat uh, indigenous people from where I come from. Like I call it a different Ontario. It seems like uh, you know when when we try to you know uh, we're part of Ontario, but it feels like a different Ontario, just the way uh, things are. And I think um, um, you know we just need to be able to put resources into uh, into the um, into the system. Uh, you know, like uh, for First Nations. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that goes back as well is, um, you know, when we talk, like, I have to fly a plane, a small plane, you know, whereby I'll fly to a community to reach my constituents, like in the summertime. And so, so when I'm flying, uh, you know, it might be, you know, uh, you know, 350 kilometers, uh, you know, 400 kilometers or whatnot. And, you know, like you see how rich the province is, you see it, but when you land in the community and you see the, uh, uh, the overcrowding of homes, um, the overcrowding, uh, the infrastructure such as, uh, you know, no access to clean drinking water. You see this thing, it's almost like, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, state-driven, you know, poverty. And you see it and, uh, you know, what what's going on, you know, and, and I think that's really, uh, it's really important that, uh, you know, that the communities, like, uh, uh, we these communities are fairly fairly uh, new as well. Like I mean, like um, uh, where I come from in Kingfisher, you mentioned that it's uh, about six seven hundred people there, and um, you know we didn't get running water until 1995. And uh, so, but still, uh, I know currently they do not have access. To, I mean, uh, they do have access to like the the, the function and the functionality of the uh, the water treatment plant and the sewer system is working okay there, but it's other communities. So, so I think it's really important that uh, to recognize that there's just no political will, and uh, you know uh, Ontario and um, Ontario and um, Canada actually signed with uh, Treaty Number Nine and. Uh, out of the number of treaties, um, you know, one to eleven, Treaty Nine is the only treaty that was signed by the province, and which means treaties are meant to kind of we'll share the resources, we'll share the benefits, and that's not happening today. And uh, so that's always that's and that's the reason I am here. I think to be able to uh, to address things from a perspective, like because you know you talked about the previous Liberal government. I think uh, you know. I I see how uh, oppression works. I see how I see how um, uh, colonialism works. I see how racism works because uh, you know programs, services, funding come and go, and that's the same with governments. They come and go, but we are still here. And I think uh, you know they actually uh, incremental change perpetuates the uh, the colonialism. They uh, perpetuate the. Um, uh, the oppression they perpetuate the, the crisis in our communities without dealing with the fundamental changes that are required by you know uh, by the first nations which is you know uh, uh, respecting treaties you know uh, self-determination you know uh, sharing resources of uh, the benefits of the treaty with, based on the lands that are there the lands and resources example is uh, you know, the crisis that happened in the water crisis of Niskandaga, they had to evacuate because of the oily sheen that they found. And I seen that, um, you know, uh, but meanwhile, you know, uh, the province is trying to get into, you know, their traditional territories to extract resources, extract minerals, but they don't want to be part of the solution and the community. So, yeah.
Talking uh, to uh, Sol Mamakwa, uh, MPP uh, First Nations at Queens Park um, about his first term there here on the Radical Reverend Show, and and I'm I'm so glad you mentioned that Sol because I mean when we think about it, Bay Street wealth, Canada's wealth, uh, most of it comes from mining. I think a lot of it comes from Northern Ontario, you know, um, you know, all those guys in suits on Bay Street, you know, they're making money, but they're not willing to put more in. What is the industry? You know, like how, you know, how is how's the how's that failure happened? Obviously, it's racism and colonialism, but I mean, it's so direct, you know. Um, so what is the relationship now between those that are taking uh, resources uh, and, uh, you know, what's happening there? And that's a that's a key key uh that's a good question and because uh you know like we're not when we talk about uh, our traditional territories when we talk about uh, uh our uh, uh treaty territories uh, you know we have to understand where we come from as first nations like um i grew up on the land I, my my parents and my grandparents took me out on the land you know uh, quite a bit and uh, when i was growing up until i had to go to high school when i was 13 years old and i had to leave my community but before that i um, you know uh, when we went camping when we went uh, fishing hunting trapping all that those land-based activities i uh i i i you know as a night as a anishinaabe as a first nation uh, as an og Cree, i learned everything from uh, from the land you know that the history of why the names of the points, the islands, the creeks, uh, you know, all those places. I learned it uh, in my language. I, I learned about the names of the plants and uh, the animals, the fish, everything in my language. And I think it's really important to recognize that, uh, you know, uh, we have always been caretakers of the land. And, and uh, you know, without the land, uh, you know, uh, who are we? Uh, and, and that's why we need to be able to determine, like, that's why uh, communities are very protective of that the, the traditional territories and make sure that there's a, uh, that they're at the seat, that they're at the table, making decision, that decision making table to if there's going to be any development in there, because they, they, like that's where we come from is the land is that's who we are, because it's not like if we lose that, like, say, for example, should we lose our language, where do we go? It's not like we can go to uh, back to our country, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, China or wherever, right? Because that's that's so important and uh, people don't understand that, you know, like uh, we cannot continue to, uh, and we need to be at that table. We need a process that works for us. And uh, right. Exactly. Um, and, and of course, uh, now we are all reeling um, from the discovery, as I started to say, of the 215 um, children buried um, in Kamloops. But this is, in a sense, sadly, nothing new, right, from the residential school tradition. I mean, some 3,200 children lost their lives in that, uh, in that process, and, um, and it's had lasting impact. So when you heard the news, this latest awful news, I mean, what were your reactions? What, like, what should we be doing in terms of reparations here? You know, uh, um, I think it was uh, Friday morning. I seen it, and I, you know, I seen it in uh, in uh, social media. I, I shared it, and uh, I uh, I read through the story, and uh, and it's almost like. Uh, uh, it almost like was a, uh, uh, you know, like a, I didn't know how to take it. And, uh, but it took me a couple of days to just process it. Um, it really, uh, 
and I wanted to do something and uh, people were, were uh, reaching out to me and uh, I was seeing uh, posts of people that I uh, follow or uh, friends with on social media and how much they were suffering, how much, uh, you know, how much they were feeling the pain, the grief, and uh, how much, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the story of itself w w was opening wounds for people. And I think, um, and, and uh, so this is what happened. It was on Saturday evening. And I remember I, I phoned my staff and said, you know what, I, want, I need to make a statement tomorrow. And uh, so, um, and I said, you know what, this is what I want to say. You, and I'll, I'll start, uh, you know, kind of framing what I want to say. And I remember her telling me, she said, she's First Nations, by the way, and uh, said, I don't know if I can do it. I, I said, why? <laughs> I said, I, I, I just, it just hit me. I just can't, I just can't uh, do it. And, uh, and then I, it wasn't until a couple of hours after that, that's when I started feeling, you know, that sense of uh, grief, that sense of uh, hurt, like even in me. And uh, so, so I got that statement out on Sunday and, uh, you know, and uh, it really, uh, I think it's a really, uh, you know, uh, that, that that's, uh, you know, of our children, uh, you know, is a crime against humanity. You know, it's something that the country of Canada has never treated as such. And it really, uh, it really bothered me in that way. And, um, you know, and I know that uh, it was so difficult, uh, you know, I, and I came came to Toronto on Sunday night and uh, on Monday morning, I made a statement about it. Uh, you know, uh, the government was uh, good enough to make, for me to make a statement. And uh, it was a tough thing to do. Uh, whatever I said, you know, like when I said genocide in the house, when I said crime against humanity, and especially even, uh, especially even uh, when I uh, talked about, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Catholic Church, the Pope, and other churches. Uh, that was very <laughs> hard for me because you have these, you know, um, you know <laughs> I'm not sure what to say, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, people that are not um, First Nations or, or you can say white men, I guess. And uh, it's just, you know, like it was hard for me to say that. I, I was scared. And, uh, but I think it's, uh, but it's something that, it's what the First Nations, it's what the Indigenous people are feeling, and it just needed to be said. But I think uh, I was telling uh, a story of the people that are feeling across the country, across the provinces. That wasn't me speaking; it was the people speaking, and I, I'm just speaking for them. And uh, the, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of hurt across the country today as we speak. Yes, and it's important uh, speaking again to Saul Mamakwa, MPP, um, First Nations Indigenous um, representing um, uh, uh, Nashnabiaski nations across the north. Um, and, you know, uh, in, in terms of the Roman Catholic Church, this is a organization that's never paid a penny towards reparations um, and never apologized. Um, so there's that. Um, but also, I mean, it's not just them. I mean, it's all of white Canada, um, all of settler Canada that really bears this. I mean, we're on your land. <laughs> and uh, 
um, most of it taken forcefully and most of it taken violently. And um, this was yet another offshoot of that horror. Um, so the way forward, Saul, I mean, what, um, what needs to happen? Obviously, money needs to go into your communities to uh, solve the, the water problem. What else needs to happen? I mean, what, what needs to happen? I know, uh, I think uh, there's a number of things that need to happen. Uh, I know, like, I think uh, that one of the things I asked uh, both levels of government uh, on Monday was, you know, to provide resources to uh, search again, uh, you know, another uh, residential school sites. And it's really uh, imperative that they do that because, uh, but those searches should be Indigenous led, it should be First Nation led. Not every process will be the same on uh, because like uh, different communities, different First Nations, different survivors will have different approaches to that, you know, the searches. And I think that's one of the key things that needs to happen. And I know right now today, uh, even uh, this morning, I asked a question about uh, about to this government on, you know, what are you providing as a healing initiative, as a supports, mental health supports for, you know, uh, you know, peeling the band-aid off this wound of uh, residential schools, you know, what is happening. So I think that's that's so key and um, we have to be able to uh, do that. And um, I know I, I was thinking about it this morning too. And, uh, you know, like I know uh, back in um, uh, July uh, 2018, when this government, uh, uh, you know, formed, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, form government and uh, it really one of the things that they did is that uh, they canceled the uh, indigenous uh, curriculum writing uh, they uh, canceled the, the culture fund and the indigenous curriculum writing is so important because our children of in Ontario need to learn the real history of Canada and they learn need to learn about uh, how indigenous first nations uh, people have been treated in this country. And I think that's where the change is. And, uh, you know, it was such a, uh, you know, a step backwards uh, to be when they did that. And I think that's one of the things that needs to happen. Like, uh, you know, whether you're, whether whoever your MPP is, whether who your MP is, uh, you know, like a school board and, you know, like a municipality, we need to be able to implement those because, I mean, this has been happening for centuries. It's going to take time to get to where we are, but we need to start the process somewhere uh, whereby, uh, you know, our children, our grandchildren, and, you know, need to learn these histories, the real Canada, the real histories of, uh, you know, indigenous people, the way they've been treated. And I think that's where the change is. And uh, the youth, uh, the young people are the change that are coming up and they need to be aware of their surroundings. So I hate to ask, but what was the response you got when you asked the question about that? <laughs> you know, uh, that question was, uh, you know what, uh, we know uh, uh, this uh, member member of provincial parliament will keep asking these issues and he's been bringing these stories and it, but it's something that uh, that they, you know, um, that they cannot answer in, in 60 seconds. But that's, that's what we're gonna be uh, pushing and that's what, you know, every Ontarian should be asking. And, um, you know, like if you don't know, the, you know, the 215 children that died in Kamloops uh, in the Indian residential school, it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's the people, the, the, peop the power is in the people. 
the power is in the people and everyone in Ontario. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not the government. It makes them look like as if they're, but the power is in the, and actually the people. And if uh, we uh, come together as uh, human beings first, if we come together as a society, uh, that's where the change comes from, not from the government. And uh, it's, it's so important. Uh, speaking to Salma Makwa, MPP, um, again, um, First Nations, in light of this new horror that just come to light, it's it should be nothing new, sadly, but uh, it is has come to light. I have to say, Saul, that you know, as a settler, as an off, offspring of settlers in this uh, in in the Toronto area, you know, Mississaugas of the Credit area, um, that we never learned anything in school about First Nations. It was not on the curriculum at all. Um, and it's been a process of self-education for a lot of people, I think, in a lot of generations. And um, and hopefully, independent of the Ford government, this continues to happen, um, and we continue to um, face reality, which is what it is. How are your young people going? We just have a few minutes left, but I want to talk about them. Um, in your territories where the that you represent, how are the young people, what are their lives looking like? Is there some hope there? You know, uh, there is always hope. And I think, uh, but also there's struggles, there's barriers, there's challenges. And I think, uh, you know, um, a, lot, a lot of the flying communities do not have access to uh, high school, high school. So they leave at, you know, if they're in grade nine and 13 years old, they have to go to the city, they have to go to the towns, and they leave their families and they have to board. So, and that's what I mean. And that's because uh, provincial governments, federal governments, they don't want to invest. So everybody has schools, like high schools. And so I think like, I, I, uh, I think about that. And, uh, you know, like I think back in 2017, it was a very, very tragic year in our communities in the North. Uh, you mentioned the Snabaski Nation where I used to work. And uh, within that year, we had the most, the most, uh, you know, suicides in in those communities, and uh, it's just uh, like uh, it's just that uh, we normalize crisis. Like we go, there's perpetual crisis in our communities because we have to understand like access to clean drinking water, a lack of access to proper education and uh, economic development, and uh, you know. Um, the overrepresentation of uh, youth and uh, indigenous people within the justice system. There's, the, we have to understand these are colonial systems. These are systems that we never built. It's for it's uh, built by uh, uh, a settler government on on us, and so that's the system that uh, the system kills our people. And I think, uh, but there's always hope. There's always hope because uh, you know people are going back to the uh, the lands. Uh, people are going back to the you know, where they came from and relearning of who they are, uh, the identity, uh, the way of life. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, that's who we are. And, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, governments come and go, but we are still here and we will continue to be here. Uh, and we just need to, governments to individuals to be allies, to work with us. And, uh, you know, we wanna, we just want what everybody, we. We want to have a better Ontario. We want a better uh, Canada. We want a better society at the end of the day. Thank you so much, Saul. And thank you um, for your representation, but also um, 
you know, uh, yeah, where would we be in the environmental movement in this country without the First Nations involvement? And you are the keepers of the land. So thank you for that. And thank you for your service. Uh, thanks for being on the Radical Reverend Show. Take okay. care. Yeah, bye. Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show. I'm so delighted to have with me MP Leah uh, Gazan, and she is originally from the Wood Mountain Lakota Nation Treaty 4 Territory. Uh, you'll probably recognize her name because she's the one that brought in that really important bill for guaranteed livable basic income, basically saying that if the government can do it for CERB, you know, they need to do it all year round um, and forever. She's the MP for Winnipeg Centre, got elected in 2019, uh, has gone across the country for Romeo's Bill 262 on Indigenous Human Rights, the Indigenous Human Rights Act, um, and prior to being elected was President of Social Planning Council. She's also been very active on the environment file. Leah, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so let's just start right in. Just recently, uh, Trudeau uh, tabled uh, the response to all of the presumed work that had gone into, and a lot of work went into it, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Um, uh, what's your reaction to that? Well, I think, you know, I, I share the reaction of, of, of many uh, people uh, out there um, who are very critical um, of this uh, latest uh, inaction uh, by the federal government, um, you know, including Chief uh, Judy Wilson, who's the Secretary Treasurer of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs, has called it, in quotes, another delay, a tactic, and also delaying the funding and resources of family survivors need now. We have people today going missing and murders, murdered. Things have got to change now. And uh, I totally agree uh, with the chief and also Pam Palmatter, who's a professor from Ryerson University, who was very clear. Uh, she said that that uh, this this new plan is a code for we didn't come up with a plan. And further noting that a plan that doesn't have concrete action, clear timelines and measurable outcomes is not acceptable. It's been two years since the uh, public inquiry or the um, a report into the murdered and missing Indigenous uh, women and girls uh, has been released. Two years of inaction. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, Minister Bennett use the pandemic as a an excuse for slowing things down, when in fact we know rates of violence against Indigenous women and, and girls and Two Spirit has massively increased. In fact, four times, 400 times in some places. That should have urged the government to act more swiftly. Uh, you know, uh, as noted in the uh, National Inquiry into Murdered and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls report, this is genocide. Uh, this is this is ongoing genocide. This requires urgent and immediate action. Uh, you know, coming up and releasing a national action plan with no implementation plan is a disrespect to uh, survivors of violence and family members who still, uh, many who don't even have answers about where their loved ones are. 
Mm -hmm. And we should point out too, um, Indigenous women and girls in this country are seven times more likely to be murdered and disappeared. Yeah, so I mean this, and, and Pam has been very, very vocal about it, that this is ongoing genocide. Has there been a response from the response to this supposed report? Uh, by the government? Yeah, yeah. When, well, in I'm period, what have they said? Well, I mean, in, in question period today, I wouldn't say there was a lot of uh, questions uh, pertaining about it. We know that the minister isn't, uh, doesn't attend uh, question periods uh, on Friday. I'm hoping that this is really pushed uh, next week. But, you know, like people are tired um, of all the rhetoric, you know, uh, all the rhetoric coming from this government. Uh, people just want to see action, uh, you know, as a longtime advocate, personal advocate to end violence against Indigenous women and girls. I'm tired of the rhetoric. I want to see action. And the fact that we see another report with no implementation plan, uh, we have lost lives, girls and women during the pandemic. Uh, an example, uh, the young Aisha Hudson. Uh, there was a, 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 a another woman who was found on the streets, perished uh, on the streets during the pandemic in my riding. You know, women and girls are going missing in real time. Uh, enough with the rhetoric, enough with the heartfelt, my heart going out to families and survivors of violence. You know, show us some heart by acting. Get real. It has just gotten to the point where it's beyond disrespectful. It's like holding upholding systems of genocide with their failure to act. So what should happen? What should they be doing uh, in terms of implementing some kind of change to this ongoing genocide? Well, look, there's 231 calls. I, I put forward a, 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 a motion 46 for a guaranteed livable basic income call to justice 4.5. What does the Liberals do in a unanimous consent? Understanding it needs everybody's consent. Liberals across the way, Trudeau's not interested. He said in the media, you know, uh, Liberal members voting against it across the way uh, with their uh, allies in the Conservative government. Uh, unacceptable. There's 231 calls to justice. 231. A clear path forward. They need to put in, in a place a national action plan to make sure that those 231 calls to justice are implemented. Could you just, for, for those out there in listener land who perhaps haven't seen the 231 calls for justice, can you highlight a couple of them that just stand out to you that are essential? Well, certainly uh, income, income, uh, you know, 24-7 uh, uh, safe spaces, uh, low barrier safe spaces for women, girls, 2SLGBTQQIA. I was really happy that after nine years of fighting, uh, we finally got funding in Winnipeg Centre for uh, a low barrier uh, safe space for, for uh, uh, in response to the calls to justice for, for women and girls housing. You know, we know that uh, one of the findings is that, um, you know, victims uh, of violence or those who perish often know their perpetrators. And often it's an issue of poverty and housing, you know, affordable, accessible social housing, guaranteed livable basic income, um, you know, programs to assist with trauma supports, ensuring that uh, women have safe havens, uh, women, girls, 2S, LGBTQQ, I have safe havens to, to uh, go to, uh, addressing issues within the child welfare system. 
we know so many kids that, you know, age out of care onto the streets. I mean, it's very clear. Uh, the government is running out of excuses. They are still taking First Nations children to court, uh, fighting against Cindy Black, Black Dog's Human Rights Tribunal ruling. I mean, let's talk about that because I, that to me seems the height of hypocrisy. I mean, you know, here's Trudeau, you know, um, sort of coming out and saying, you know, we feel your pain and yet fighting the same folk in court. Like, I, I, this is shocking, truly. Um, so, again, you know, what are they, I, I, what is the response when they're called on that? Well, you know, I was, I really, uh, you know, pushed the government hard, uh, certainly in the emergency debate uh, and uh, during our opposition day mo motion, you know, and I, and I, I had an opportunity to ask the prime minister, will you stop fighting uh, Indigenous First Nations kids, the 165 in court, and will you stop fighting St. Anne's residential school survivors? It's very simple. I mean, you can say you're sort, and you're fight, you're 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 fighting people uh, to justify their genocide, and pushing the government to recognize, for example, what happened in residential schools as genocide. Same rhetoric, you know, uh, and it's unacceptable. Lives are on the line. Uh, people are being re-traumatized. It's a total disregard for the genocide, an ongoing genocide that has, you know, been experienced. Uh, by Indigenous people for 150 years, uh, including the genocide that occurred in residential school. And this government can't even acknowledge it for what it is, genocide. It falls under the UN Convention on Genocide. I would argue all ADE in the definition of genocide, in addition to forcibly removing kids from one group and placing them in another group. It's genocide. It's not cultural genocide. It is genocide, full stop. Speaking to uh, Leah Gazan here, MP for Winnipeg Centre um, and uh, from Wood Mountain Lakota Nation Treaty 4 territory. Um, so Leah, yeah, I mean, one of the calls has been, um, uh, of course, to find the other graves of children because we know they're across the country, not just in Kamloops. Um, any response there? Has the government said anything about it? And that's not a, an expensive venture. I mean, obviously it has to be in the hands of First Nations to do this, but but I mean, it doesn't take a lot of money. Um, what do they say yeah. to that? Well, the NDP put forward an opposition day a motion calling for action on that uh, very uh, very thing that you've brought forward. We know that there's, um, uh, you know, mass graves in re on residential school uh, across this country. So when I hear, you know, talks from, you know, members of parliament of how they were shocked or surpri surprised, they only had to read calls to action 71 to 76 of the TRC report. We knew this. We knew this. We can't pretend that people did not know this, that only Indigenous people know, knew this. That is false. It was in calls to justice or calls to action 71 to 76 in the, in, in, in the uh, TRC report. Uh, so we'll see on Monday. You know, uh, you know, it's calling on the government to stop fighting uh, First Nations kids in courts, uh, uphold the Human Rights Tribunal ruling to immediately stop racially discriminating against First Nations kids on reserve, stop fighting uh, St. Anne residential school survivors, uh, and provide communities with the resources that they are requesting to do what they need to do to get closure on their own terms, in their own way.
as you know, here in Ontario, I mean, we have uh, we have First Nations uh, that have not had cleaning clean drinking water in you know as long as they can remember, right? For generation in some cases, um, and, uh, and and of course every. Every government has come up with excuses on that one. Um, now we're seeing more um, extraction happening from their communities without their buy-in. Um, like it's just, it's overwhelming when you read all of this, you must be overwhelmed by it. I mean, it, it what, like what, <laughs> I guess for, for us standing outside from the settler community, we're just saying, like, what is the problem with our governments and, and you know, particularly the federal government? I mean, again, um, people may not know this, but I mean, First Nations children don't get the same amount of money for education that, you know, settler kids get. I mean, it's a clear violation. Um, so, again, what, like, what do you say to that? <laughs> Well, I think we have to recognize that, you know, even with residential school, it all goes back to land. It all goes back to pushing forward an economic agenda, uh, which included uh, trying to assimilate our children, apprehending uh, children, kidnapping, kidnapping, robbing our children from their lands and territories so that they could push forward uh, an economic agenda and get rid of, you know, what they called the Indian problem. You know, we see the same sort of behavior happening uh, today uh, in relation to a violent disregard of human rights. Uh, you know, we saw it in Wissowatin territory, for example, Site C Dam. Uh, let's 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 be real about this. Muskrat Falls, uh, another uh, area. We see this all throughout the country. TMX. Uh, the list and uh, not limited to. I mean, there's so many. 1492 Lambac, you know, uh, and it has to stop. And we need to acknowledge that what now what people now call Canada, many people, was built on the violent dispossession of land of Indigenous peoples, built on the genocide of Indigenous peoples, and we still have a government, a federal government, that won't even call even residential schools for what it was, genocide. Uh, the, fact that, the fact that there's over 5,000 Indigenous women and girls to us, uh, to spirit, uh, missing, murdered, genocide, you know, and forcefully removing people off their land, sometimes through lethal force, as we saw within Wessowatin territory at the end of a sniper gun militarized police. We need to change this. There's never going to be reconciliation in this country in the absence of justice. I wanted to ask you also, um, a, a number of folk have been tweeting or, or saying on social, uh, you know, that there are more children that are in care that have been taken from families for other reasons than, than were in residential schools. So it's still ongoing. Um, and what is happening with that? I mean, you know, yeah, go ahead. Well, I think, you know, uh, former Senator Murray Sinclair summed it up so well, I think a couple of years ago in the Globe and Mail, where he said, called the child welfare system, the new monster saying that, you know, if it had been today, they would have been apprehending kids and placing them in child welfare. You know, there's, there's, it's an absolute crisis. And it's born, uh, it's born, um, as a result of the human rights violations of Indigenous peoples, including 
uh, taking away our children, whether it be through residential schools or through the child welfare system. We have to name it for what it is. Uh, certainly Cindy Blackstock is one of my heroes. She has labeled it. We need to listen uh, to truths. And this government needs to stop fighting us, even, even against being able to realize and uphold uh, the minimum human rights, even for little kids. In fact, this government spends between 500 million to a billion dollars a year fighting Indigenous peoples uh, in court. I actually put forward a, a question of privilege. I'm still awaiting uh, the response to see how much um, uh, Minister Bennett's department um, has uh, budgeted, put in the budget to fight us in court. I'm yet to get a response, whether it has to do with resources, whether it has to do with denying our kids uh, rights, whether it has to do uh, with what we're, we're seeing in terms of systemic racism and policing, healthcare systems where people literally are dying, Indigenous people are literally dying as a result of systemic racism. There will never be reconciliation in this country in the absence of justice. And we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to not take this the news of the 250 kids and just use it for a moment to of, of sadness, but to lift up and respect their legacies by ensuring that all children in this country are afforded human rights. And I think that's the least we can do for our ancestors. And I call those children now our ancestors. Um, you've been very active on the environmental uh, file and brought in a bill about that, and I'd love to hear um, you talk about that for, for a minute. But but certainly Indigenous are at the forefront of environmental battles like right across this country. Um, and again, as you say, it's about the land. It's about who owns it. And um, I had one lawyer on, I've, I've had Skylar Williams from 1492 Landback Lane on the show a couple of times. And of course, uh, that's still ongoing, that occupation. Um, but anyway, this lawyer said has been fighting literally for decades for one chunk of land in Ontario and is awaiting a ruling. Uh, I, I mean, okay, so talk about the environment and in Indigenous for a minute. And, and for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think it's important to, to um, recognize that like Indigenous peoples uh, have less than 0.02% of the landmass now. And they, it's still not enough. When is it enough? You know, my bill, the uh, Bill 232, I put forward, it of course got shot down, um, you know, called for uh, the Climate Action Emergency Framework, um, in, consistent with uh, meeting um, the climate targets by 2030, not 2050, uh, and in, in, in um, respect, and while upholding the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, it, it would have been the first, had it passed the first uh, legislation uh, put forward, uh, if it had passed by uh, in the House of Commons, that would have held the Liberal government to account on Bill C-15, which is the full adoption and implementation of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, a bill uh, that um, 
uh, was uh, drafted uh, in, uh, you know, inspired by Bill 262 that was put forward by Romeo Saganash uh, with uh, amendments uh, that was provided by expert witnesses. Um, in consultation with Indigenous peoples, civil society, uh, groups to come up with that plan of action. We can't, we'll never meet, we will never achieve climate justice in the absence of fundamental Indigenous human rights because most of the resource, um, resource developments around the country are right on Indigenous lands and territories. You cannot separate climate justice and fundamental Indigenous human rights, the kinds of rights that are articulated in the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. That's exactly what my bill was designed to do. I am not surprised that the uh, government voted my bill down. They are certainly, their plan will not meet climate targets. They've been very, very clear through their actions, uh, spending $18 billion buying a leaky pipeline with 0% uh, profit margin that they are not committed to meeting climate targets. We know um, that this government uh, says one thing is clearly doing another thing, uh, especially as it relates to human rights and climate. So I was not surprised. Uh, but I hope it I hope if anything, my bill did was to make a contribution to hold the government to account. Uh, to hold all of us to account, whether, you know, provincial governments, municipal governments and federal governments to say, you know, we have an obligation to um, to uphold uh, international uh, agreements we've made, uh, legal agreements, our constitution, uh, which and, and all other types of law, indigenous law, our treaties, uh, international law. I mean, we have an obligation to uphold as members of parliament, not surprised it was voted down. Unfortunately, we still have a long way to go uh, to rectify uh, the ongoing injustice against Indigenous people and the violent, continue, continual violence against our beautiful Mother Earth and our beautiful sacred waters. Uh, speaking to uh, Leah Gazan here, MP uh, Winnipeg Center, um, and about her her bill and her work, of course, as as Indigenous, uh, for Indigenous and all everyone's rights, really, um, environmental rights, to um, not to mention the guaranteed livable basic income um, that she championed. Um, I want to talk too about um, uh, the uprising, you know, Black Lives Matter and, of course, Indigenous Lives Matter as well. Um, I want to talk about the RCMP for a minute too, um, federal police body, because there's been a lot of lot of talk, a lot of uh, asks, um, and doesn't seem to be a lot of action. So uh, what what needs to happen with the RCMP, which was a colonial force uh, designed to drive indigenous from their lands? Mm -hmm. Well, first, first of all, they're still being used that way. I mean, if you look at what happened in BC uh, and, and is happening in BC on a lot of, of resource development, it's still uh, the RCMP being called in to do their colonial job that they were designed to do. Uh, I think we need to name truth. You know, it was called the Truth and Reconciliation Report. It wasn't, and they had calls to act, action, not calls to discussion, or, you know, we'll only tell the truth if it fits our narrative. It wasn't, that's not the name of the report. It was called the Truth 
and reconciliation report, there's not going to be reconciliation in this country without truth. And, and one of, of the truths in this country is that, you know, the, the violence against Indigenous peoples and certainly uh, Black, uh, 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 as we know in the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, you know, against uh, BIPOC individuals by, at the hands of police. You know, we currently have an inquest that's happening uh, in Manitoba for the young Aisha Hudson, who uh, ended up getting shot and killed by police um, after taking a bottle of vodka or whatever, a bottle, and, and, you know, was in a car. She lost her life over a bottle of vodka. I, I think people need to realize that when they talk about justice, you need to follow the law, you can't break the law that how easily, um, in particularly Indigenous people in the, in the area that I live around, are targeted by police. You only have to look at the, the number of people that have died at the hands of police to know that the majority are Indigenous peoples, even in ur urban settings. That is not an accident. That is not an accident. That is deeply rooted in systemic racism and ongoing colonial violence. Uh, we need to look at uh, our current structures. Police shouldn't be doing mental health checks. Uh, it's the anniversary of the death of Chantal Moore today. Police shouldn't be doing mental health checks. That's not their role. We need Talk to about Chantal a bit. Like again, for those well, who might not know that name. Yeah. Well, she she died after police went to her place to do a mental health check, resulting in her death. You know, we need to divest from all the money spent in policing and we need to invest in healthy communities. You know, uh, what I was talking about, 24-hour uh, safe um, spaces, for example, ensuring uh, a, a greater investment in social housing. We know there's a direct correlation between poverty and rates of crime. You know, people need, when you look after uh, people, it's a good crime prevention strategy. We need to start investing in people and divest from punitive systems where we see no shift in society. Um, and I feel that way strongly. And uh, I'll keep uh, I'll keep pushing that forward. Well, you're a wonderful voice. Uh, next steps for Leah in the House. What what do you see? I mean, for, what, what are your thoughts? Is it going to be an election? Not election? It's oh. You know, <laughs> it's I think we're going to be in an election pretty soon. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep doing my job. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, my uh, wonderful community of Winnipeg Centre, uh, you know, decides that I've I've earned the right uh, to represent them once again. But until then, I'm going to keep focused. I have so much work to do in my a beautiful riding of Winnipeg Center, uh, home of the Winnipeg Strike, one of the home of OAS. We are uh, the best, I don't mean to break, and I know people will debate. I think we are one of the best, I say the best riding in the country. We are the home of progressive thought and I'm gonna keep that tradition going. Yes, uh, absolutely. Keep the tradition of the Winnipeg strike going, Leah. It's been such an absolute pleasure to talk to you. All the best. Um, uh, anything else comes up, please let us know. And, uh, and it was just on the guaranteed annual, annual income before we, we leave uh, you. Um, it was interesting to to me to note that the majority of liberals in one, in one poll supported that, but yet the leadership yeah. obviously doesn't. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so in saying that, um, you know, here's the thing I'm, I'm, I'm asking for something very specific. We already have income guarantees in the country. Uh, OAS, for example, is an income guarantee. Uh, for example, EI, an income guarantee. Um, social assistance is another income guarantee. I'm, I say not livable. We need to take our current gar- income guarantees, top them up to make them livable and expand them out for those falling through the cracks in addition to current and future uh, government programs and support meant to me- meet um, special and exceptional needs in addition to things like accessible, affordable social housing, pharma care for all, dental care, poverty costs a lot of money. I'm saying let's save on keeping people sick uh, by honoring their human rights and invest in people. Let's put in a wealth tax. Let's go after offshore tax havens. Let's divest from fossil fuel in, uh, fossil fuel industry. Everybody would be living high on the hog, including seniors in my riding on the verge of homelessness if they, instead of spending that $18 billion on a leaky pipeline with 0% profit margin, they would have invested in people. So I'm saying let's divest from 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 this this growing what I've been calling growing corporate dictatorship that is more privileged than the human rights of people and our mother earth and let's invest in in keeping our earth clean and people now rock on leah i love that and we will close with that thank you so much thank you so much reverend show and we will definitely have you back so thank take care you and get yourself reelected yes thank you take care <laughs> bye bye bye